Welcome to another episode of No Reserve, Haggerty's podcast about the enthusiast car market. Now, we're here to help you make sense of the car market, whether you're buying, selling, or just watching. Now, this week, it's all about the Monterey Classic Car Auctions that are happening next week. Our highlights include a gorgeous racing Ferrari from the 60s, a twin-engine Chitron, and the Porsche 918 Supercar. I'm Larry Webster, editor of Haggerty Media, and I'm joined by Dave Kinney, the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Between the two of us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we just don't just guess at the values. We're backed by the data of the Haggerty Valuation Tools. Okay, let's get into it. Dave, we are recording this on Wednesday, August 9th. This is a week before the big show, the biggest auction of the year in the United States at Monterey, California. So, um, but before we talk about that, and I know we're going to devote most of the episode to this, there was a car that sold recently that I think you own, and I want to hear your perspective on it. Please tell the audience what it is. Uh, the car that sold on Bring a Trailer was a 13,000-mile Ferrari uh, uh, 2005 612 Scout Yeti. Um, now, keep in mind, that's a front-engine V12 car. It does have four seats. Um, most of them are, uh, are F1 or automatic transmission. Some of them are six speed. Uh, this happens to be an F1. It sold quite, quite cheap. Really in my cheap. Estimation. Yeah. 79.5. I mean, did this, you, uh, you own one of these cars, right? I do. I own a 2005 as well. Um, mine has more miles on it. I think mine is worth more. Uh, now, you know, we're going to comment. <laughs> on the, of course you uh, do. <laughs> of course. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Um, this car does not have its services up to date. And I think that really killed it on here. I think that, that you know, the, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars in services might have brought twenty thousand dollars more on the sales side. There were only 32 comments on this car. OK, now think about that. Bring a trailer and only 32 comments. That's unheard of, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of experience with these cars because back in the day I was a car and driver. I looked it up. I actually got to drive one in uh, Italy. And we also yeah. did a comparison test because this car appeared at really the height of the sports coupe when you had the. Aston Martin DB9, you had, this was the Bentley Continental and the Mercedes CL600, all these big engine, big coupes. It was super impressive. Yep. And we did this comparison test there in Italy, and it was not even close. The Ferrari was the winner. I mean, it was an amazing car all around. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I know that some people don't like the styling yeah. and all that sort of that's stuff. I love it. the styling of the car. I mean, that's why I bought one. But, uh, uh, you know, this car's black with tan. I mean, you can't you can't fault it for the color. So I just think this one got out cheap. And, you know, every once in a while they do. And this happened on Bring a Trailer where supposedly everything brings the best money. But uh, is this, this, a, is this a, a comment on the service? Terrifying. You know, it, it has a 533 horsepower V12 engine. So that alone is worth something insane. Um, but is the scare what it's going to take to keep this thing on the road? Is that what keeps the prices uh, suppressed on these things? You know, there's there's some thoughts about that. Uh, you know, if you take it back to the Ferrari dealership, it's probably a $10,000 item every five years. Mm. Uh, if you think about it, that's $2,000 a year for, you know, basic maintenance. And yeah. that's not cheap for most people. I get that. But if you take it to an independent, it might be a five or $6,000 bill, something like that. So uh, I would go with the uh, you know, uh, it's a thousand dollars, maybe, you know, $1,200 a year for routine maintenance. Um, you know, but, not but, bad. you know, let's think about this just one more way and then we can move on. It's at this price, you know, it's cheaper than like a Land Rover, a new Land Rover Range Rover Sport, right? 
Those are about right. 90 grand. The rear seats right. are actually usable. I mean, they are pretty big. It's a V12 Ferrari. Um, it's probably not going to depreciate anymore. I mean, this is like kind of crazy, crazy value that you could really use on a regular basis. I don't know how much you drive yours, but how long have you had it? What have you learned about it? Well, I've had it for, let's call it uh, five years now. Um, I paid in the mid eighties for it. Mm. Um, it was, uh, um, you know, I've probably put, I don't know, 1700 miles on it since I got it. I had to pay a lot when I first picked the car up because the, uh, the last owner had never filled the fuel tank before, I guess. And when I filled it, uh, bingo, uh, I had a fuel leak, but, um, <laughs> other, other than that, um, you know, it's been a really, uh, you know, uh, basically a, a very solid kind of, you know, uh, rock steady car. Um, and when I need to take it out, you know, there's no trauma, just go yeah. and I leave it on a, I leave it on a floater charger and just, you know, take it out of the garage and, and drive it. Yeah. The only thing that people might want to know is, as you said, that most came with this automatic transmission and really what it is, is a robotized manual. And now that's no big deal because they have these twin clutch systems where one gate, one gear is already engaged. And so it's just a really quick switch. There's no delay between shifts, but this car had a single clutch, but, but they had refined it to the point where this was probably the best of those single clutch systems. I don't know. Is that kind of how you found it? Yeah, I haven't had any problem. Well, actually, I will say the actuators um, on mine were a little twitchy. Um, uh, probably from sitting and I replaced them. It was not cheap. I replaced them with good used units. They were 600 bucks a piece. Yikes. <clears throat> so $1,200 for the total repair. Uh, it would have been 1500 each had they been new. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been fine. But it's, it's just kind of smooth. It's not clunky like the first generation. Not at all. Yeah. yeah it's really not good. at all. Not at all. Very smooth. All right. So I, 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 a lot of times I drive it just using the paddles instead of the automatic, just, you know, and, and make the vroom vroom noises so that I feel like a race car driver, <laughs> but hey, come on, you know, you do it too, right? Oh my God. I do it. I got my way to bed at night. Of course I do. I mean, um, so, well, thank you, uh, for, for showing us, you know, it's another great example of the bargains that still exist, even though we're in a very strong market. And, you know, as we've pointed out at the Haggerty or insider.haggerty.com, many times we are in a slightly static kind of maybe cooling market just a little bit, but cars are still going for a lot of money, but there are bargains out there. But I don't, I mean, next week, Monterey car auctions. Um, I mean, you're sort of the the grand poobah because you've been going for so <coughs> long. How long have you been going to these this auction? <laughs> these auctions. Uh, oh, sorry, yes, these auctions. Yeah, the grand poobah. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm a. It's a theme. The it's grand big papa, uh, grand poobah. I mean, it'll never. I'll it, yeah. I, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, probably about, uh, for me, it's probably about 15 years, something like that. I've okay. been going, I, you know, for a long time, I, I didn't go, uh, you know, it is expensive. It is a big deal. Uh, you know, the first time you go, it's full of mystery. And then, you know, after a while, you know, it's kind of what you're just doing. Uh, but, uh, it's, it is our Super Bowl. Let's just put it that way. I mean, you know, yeah. it, there used to be competitors. There would be, you know, we'd say Scottsdale might be the same, but Scottsdale has, you know, faded a little bit. It's still huge. Don't get me wrong. So it's our Super Bowl in the old car world. And that's what we do. So with. as you, as an appraiser, you're the publisher, of the Haggerty price guide. And even though, you know, how many cars sell, it's maybe 400 cars over the week, right? So it's not like a huge number of the total market that's sold, but a lot of the perceptions about the market are baked during this week. And a lot of discussions to people who establish the values like you, that you have with other people like you there, right? Like that's kind of why it's a very influential time. 
No. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, you know, the deals that get made that aren't on the, uh, you know, on the floor of an auction. I mean, people, you know, looking at other people's collections and, you know, keep in mind, as we all know, uh, most sales in the classic car world do not happen at auction. It's a very small percentage that actually do. So people get together, they go out to dinner, they go out for drinks, uh, you know, they go on driving tours. There's all kinds of things that happen out there. Uh, you know, all the, the, you know, there's Porsche specific events, there's Bentley specific events, no matter what it is, uh, you know, most of the manufacturers have some sort of ride and drive for clients out there. Um, you know, it's a pretty nice place to be in August. It, it makes it very expensive to be there, yeah. but it's a pretty nice place. But this gives you the temperature of buyers and sellers that sort of sets the tone for at least the next six months as you're constantly updating our value guide. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And by the way, I'm going to correct you. It's a lot more than 400 cars that will oh. be sold out there. There's a lot more than that uh, offered, and there's a lot more to sell. I, I, you know, I, I dare say that Meekums sell 400 cars just on their own Okay, Whoops. Um, in the three days that they have a sale. Most of the sales are um, one and two day, but Bottoms is out there. Yeah. Uh, Broad Arrow has a, uh, you know, just saw the, just got the catalogs last week. I, I think I have 32 pounds of catalogs, and I'm going to be, uh, you know, the not printing catalogs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, printed catalogs, not taking them all with me, but, you know, having them for reference when I come back here. Um, there's probably going to be a world record sale times 10, mm. uh, you know, in a number of different categories. Uh, and and so it's, you know, it's the place to see and to, to, to see and be seen. Yeah. I mean, and it all ends on Sunday, a week from Sunday for when we're broadcast or when we're recording now. But uh, Sunday at Pebble Beach, um, you know, all the magic comes together, people on the ground, uh, you know, walking through Pebble, looking at things, and then, you know, it disappears again for another year. It's very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of beating this because, um, you know, th it, this is such a small slice of the market, right? And the vast majority yeah. of the cars we cover will never cross an auction block at uh, Pebble. But the reason, as it's important, is, is it does... Uh, it's a reflection of what's going on. And one of the things I've seen over time, and I'm talking to you that I've been at Haggerty for the past eight years, is that when everybody's optimistic, it's like this self-fulfilling cycle. That means the best cars come for sale for auction because the, the sellers think they might get the most money. And then that attracts more buyers with more money. And up we go. And I feel like this year, we're at a start of that again because of this car that you've... Uh, highlighted that's going to be for sale this ferrari 412p which is just an amazing car and i i think this is a pretty important thing that's happening next week would you agree yeah absolutely um you know the 412p is going to be at bonham's which will be bonham's signature car probably their signature car for the entire year worldwide as far as that goes um a really interesting history it doesn't have like the best ever race history but the car is so painfully beautiful. I mean, it is kind of the last of the era when, you know, designers designed cars before just engineers got involved. And it was all about 100% aerodynamics. Yeah. And so it, this car is very significant to me. And I think it's probably, it's going to tilt the scale. It's somewhere around $30 million, well, Larry. Let me set it up a little bit. This is a 1967 Ferrari 412P. Uh, this was past the era when cars were built for street and track. It was just a race car. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, these were sort of the lineage of the rear engine or mid-engine Ferraris. This was the car that competed against the GT40 in the Ford versus Ferrari 
1967, I think that was an important year because not this particular car didn't win races, but this model actually brought Ferrari a lot of success. And, you know, as you said, it is achingly beautiful. And they don't, I think four or five of these exist in total and they never come up for sale at auction. So that's why it's such a big deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the the ownership history on this car is just incredible. It has been, you know, one of those cars that's been kind of cherished since new, which is very unusual for race cars. Yeah. It, it didn't, you know, it did spend a lot of its life, you know, in a corner somewhere in the back of a shop, um, you know, where people were picking parts off of it and all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, all that stuff is is very good news for this car. And I'm I'm just dying to see what it goes. So for. you you've you've seen this car, you've known it. Did it really sell for ten thousand dollars at one point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh I mean, gosh. keep in mind, there was a time in the late 60s and into the early 70s where there was no such thing as vintage racing. So this was just a used up old race car. And so what do you do with a used up old race car? I mean, you know, uh, you know, in NASCAR, we hang them on our walls. Right. Yeah. You know, put them on the ceiling and put them in museums and all that sort of stuff. But at some point, uh, you know, th these cars were quite neglected because of the value of them. I mean, what do you do? Uh, when you need to do a $10,000 rebuild, which is probably what it would cost for an engine rebuild back then on a $10,000 car. Um, not a not a happy situation. Yeah, so we have an article on insider.haggerty.com that lists the 30 most expensive cars ever sold at auction. And there is not a P car, is what they call, on that list. Um, the cheapest car that, uh, on that list of 30 is around, I want to say, $15 million. Do you have a sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to uh, make a guess where this might end up, but what's your what's your gut and experience tell you, Dave? I'm going with my 30. Um, I think this car is, you know, maybe either side of it, 28 to 32, something like that. Right. Um, I, I've heard a lot of, you know, people talking about a, a higher figure up to 40. Sure. I kind of doubt it, but I would not be shocked if that happens. Yeah, I think... Um, in terms of the automotive world, this is certainly like a Picasso. And as you pointed out, the only thing it's missing to bring it into the upper echelon, like if it had won Le Mans with Mario Andretti behind the wheel, then it's in the <laughs> realm of the top five, right? That's the only thing oh, this car's yeah. missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, there's a lot to the beauty of this car that we have to always keep in mind. And, you know, sorry, but even in race cars, pretty cells and uh this car's got pretty all over it so i like that yeah definitely go to insider.haggerty.com take a look at it look at the photos it will you will see what we were talking about what it i mean i can't wait to see it live because these cars are typically way smaller when you're standing next to them than they look in the photos okay so we'll be watching that one and you could always check back next week we'll have running commentary going and we'll certainly have it on the haggerty socials so but there's a ton of other cars for sale uh, next week. Dave, what is on your list that you're going to be watching? Well, you know, we don't talk about the old timers too much, but. Uh, what do you um, mean? We're talking we, to you all the time, Dave. What do you yeah, mean? Very funny. <laughs> Who writes your material? I love it. Hey, a 21 Stutz Series K Bearcat. So this is a Stutz Bearcat. A lot of people would argue that this is the original sports car. I would be in that argument with you. Um, you guys and, go uh, crazy for these Stutzes, and I just don't see it. They look like any other Ford Model A out there. And I know I'm just some dumb idiot hick, but, I mean, come on. Tell me why. Why are these sports cars? Uh, dumb and idiot I'll go with, but hick? I mean, seriously, I don't think so. But no, no, just kidding. Um, really, you have to drive it to, to, to understand. I mean, okay. And you also have to put yourself in the, in the realm of 1921. 
you know, America is not on wheels yet. It's just getting, you know, on wheels courtesy of the Ford Motor Company. And mm, this is excellent. a Playboy sports car. This is a, <clears throat> pardon me, an elegant rich guy's car. Um, and unfortunately to, to our eyes, to a lot of us, it looks like just another old car. Um, but this was the, you know, the pinnacle of engineering, the pinnacle of what you could do, you know, with automobiles at its time. Um, uh, this car is estimated. It's by the way, barn find. Yeah. This is it's the one Carini found, right? Yeah. yeah. 350 to $500,000. Yeah. It's a Carini car. So, I mean, it's gotta be even worth more, right? Yeah. We know somebody, uh, in LA that has one of these and, um, I was trying to get, uh, Aaron Robinson behind the wheel, but the Magneto failed, uh, because I'd really like somebody to explain what these are like. And you're right. It has to be um compared in period to what else was existing out there but the people who know like you um really value these cars and are really uh taken by them like i've heard of the mclaren f1 of the 20s and that's sort of what makes them interesting even though like i mean i guess you can keep these things running it's just a they're just oddballs i think to the next generation in a bit do you know what i mean yeah, I get that, but I I think you're you know you're spot on with the McLaren F1 comparison. I oh, really? That that's, okay. It, yeah, it's it, absolutely. Um, it is the you know uh, it was hard to get one new. Um, you know, you, you know the the Stutz Bearcat name. When, when you say Stutz Bearcat, just rolls off after that because that was like their you know their pinnacle car, just like McLaren F1. Yeah. You know, it, it, it kind of goes without saying that. When you say the best McLaren ever, the answer is going to be F1. The sure. best Stutz ever, most people, the answer would be the Bearcat. So, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, this is not a lot of money for what we're talking about. You know, not even a million dollars. That's, uh, you know, bargain time. 350 to 500 k I think it'll do every bit of 500 personally, but we'll see. So is this one of those cars, Dave, in the realm of collecting? You know, you hear this um, in that world. It, it sounds kind of pretentious, but I think it ends up being important. It's like, you know, to have the right cars to make the right collection. Now, I kind of cringe when I say that, but I think what you're saying is when you own a car like this, it signifies to anybody else in the know that this person really, uh, I don't know, you're going to have to stomp on me if I say this wrong, Dave, but values the right things in the car world. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I mean, if you were going to tell the the story of the sports car, you'd want to have one here. I mean, obviously we get into the thirties and, you know, you have all kinds of choices with, uh, you know, Asada Fushini and all that sort yeah, of the stuff. Alfa and Romeo, have, sure. It, exactly. And it, you're sure an Alfa Romeo. And when you get into the fifties, you're probably going to wind up with a 300 SL Roadster, you know, all that sort of stuff. So if you were to build a tier of collector cars and started with the first of the sports cars, this would be, this would be one of your very few choices. And I, I do love the thing that, it was, you know, it's out of Indianapolis. Um, this car especially, you know, because I love that it's this barn find and it does have this beautiful patina and it has all the original labels and the marking. If you go to the Gooding website, you can see a lot of this stuff. There's a little oil can in the engine bay and it's just sort of this relic's the wrong word. I guess artifacts the right word. And time warp. Time yeah, warp. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah, what a bargain to have something like this in somebody's collection. I agree. Uh, so you think this is a seven, eight hundred thousand dollar car? Where do you think it'll end up? Well, you know, it's always a bit of a crapshoot when you've got a uh, when you got a barn find. Oh, because not everybody uh, appreciates the barn finds worth for what they are, and a lot of people 
um, go crazy over barn finds and they just want them like this because they said this is, you know, this is as original as you're going to find. So we're going to see who's going to win out at, uh, you know, at the uh, Gooding sale on this one. But I'm looking forward to seeing I feel it. like the, the current um, zeitgeist is for more appreciation for a barn find than perfectly restored. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this one should go pretty strong. Yeah. I hope it does. We will see. And then we're going to switch gears 180 degrees because the, <laughs> the next one on the list is a Porsche 918 Spider that's for sale at the Broad Arrow auctions. They're not calling it the Radius auction. That's at uh, that's on Thursday night. This should be pretty exciting. You know, these cars are, are, are super interesting in that you probably remember how hard they were for Porsche to sell. Did you ever hear those stories when they were new in 2015? I, I remember them well, and I can even remember being at a Porsche dealer uh, in Nevada in 2015, where they were taking one of these apart for some unknown problem. And, um, uh, you know, there were like three of them there, uh, you know, a, a volume dealer, I get it, but you had your choice of a silver one, a black one and a white one from memory. And, you know, uh, it was like, what's the deal with these? And it's like, oh, if you want one, you can have it. Uh, it was a lot of money then, but, um, you know, and, and that happens all the time in the world of collector cars, the ones that everybody says, nope, just give me a 911, I'll be fine. You well, know, now there's a lot more appreciation for them. So much so that this car is estimated between $1,850,000 and $2,100,000. Yeah, I think we uh, some of those buyers missed the mark 10 years ago when these came out. Uh, they were amazing. I mean, it used uh, the V8 was a, a race version of the um, that they had in the Spider, and it was um, sounded like a Formula One motor. These were crazy mm -hmm. fast, easy to drive. I've, we may have talked about these before. I was at a press event and I was following Pat Long in a uh, 911 Turbo. It was so easy to keep up with them. I had to pull them aside and say, hey, man, you don't have to go so slow. You just hit it. And he's like, oh, no, I was. I mean, these cars are are incredibly fast and powerful and all that stuff. They are a little weird because they, they do roll around in their hybrids. So they roll around in some instances in electric only mode and then one that gas engine fires it's it's kind of terrifying because it's so loud and then when it runs it's like Arr! and you're like whoa whoa hey i was we were just we were just chatting over here so there are some of that downside but they're beautiful cars and uh all that stuff so it's kind of interesting how they start to mm, people start to appreciate them given some time and maybe it was a little bit ahead of its time is perhaps what we're we're uh concluding on this one yeah, I think so. And, uh, uh, you know, once again, I think it's going to be an interesting car to see. Um, you know, it's it's just one that I picked out because I, I know that uh, we both like the 918. Yeah, probably more than we should. And it's and it's going to be good to see this thing hopefully go above two million bucks. Yeah, it, it's it's a great color. Um, this is a great <laughs> car. So I look forward to watching that for sure. OK, the next one uh, also a broader auctions is we're going to skip around a little bit. It's another Ferrari. It's a 1964. Um, we've talked about these before. It's a version of yeah. the 250 GT, which was like, that was like Ferrari's baseline chassis and, and powertrain. It had a V12 engine. They called it the 250. It was a ladder frame. But then sometimes other coach builders made different bodies, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and this, is, uh, this is a 250 GT Lusso. Yeah. Uh, Lusso means luxury. Um, and this one is just such an excellent presentation. Beautiful color, uh, kind of a 
mid to dark green, just a, a just a gorgeous presentation. Uh, I've seen this car before. Uh, it's chassis 5695. Uh, you know, all the way through, it's got the Ferrari Classic A. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the the red book, I guess they call it, and uh, you know, all that stuff. It's been scrutinized and judged at, at concours around the world. Just really, really as a full yeah. toolkit. Everything, oh, yeah. even a, a wrench to take off the oil filter, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's well, well documented. And, I, you know, I, you know, the knock against these cars were they weren't particularly fast. Ah. Um, and it was kind of like, yeah, but who cares? I mean, they're just so good looking. And I know I've, I've said that twice here, uh, you know, since we started talking. But, uh, you know, in the in the typical Italian way, um, you know, in this particular case, anything you want with fast, you can get in another car because the Lusso isn't slow. Don't get me wrong, but it is just a beautifully performing road car that anyone who drives it would never have any, uh, never have any argument with, uh, with how well this car comes together as a whole. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, this car is beautiful and it is, it looks perfect. Like it just came out of a restoration. So this, you'd call this, would you call this one a number one car or number two? It's I'd, have be... to, I'd have to, you know, get right down on it before I, you could I declared it a number one. There's so few number ones, but it's yeah. darn close if it's not. So I'm, I'm still looking at pictures. I saw this car years ago, but, uh, you know, I'm, I would not be surprised if it's still, or has been returned to number one. And to your point about these cars put together and sort of, they're all integrated. I've driven some of these and they are striking for how modern they feel. I mean, the steering's really heavy at low speeds, right? It's a V12 over the front wheels and there's no power steering, but once it gets moving, there's like an agility and a grace to these things. You've got that engine humming, tons of torque, beautiful little shifter. I mean, they're very, very usable cars for tours and stuff like that so I, that's why i think there's some of these ferraris from the 60s like this that are very expensive cars let's call it like it is but that are about two million bucks that you get such high style such uh lineage and craftsmanship i find to be kind of bargains in the classic car world am i crazy you know i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna agree with everything you said there because uh, uh you know this is another one of those cars that you know, you could you could put in your garage, you know, turn all the lights off except for maybe a spotlight and sit there and look at it for hours. Yeah, uh, it's just every single line is just just about perfection. It's just a really, really well done car. And the Colombo V12, which, of course, was the backbone for Ferrari and would not exist without that motor. Right. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right. What What's next on your list? You're going to be watching next year, uh, next week. How about when we go to Mecham, we can see a 63 Mercedes-Benz 300 SL Roadster. Now, 63 is the ultimate year for these cars. Um, you know, they were probably built in 62 and just titled in 63. I won't get into all that. But the very, very last ones had some really interesting features. Number one, uh, an aluminum or alloy block, uh, which is preferred by most but not all people. Uh, some people prefer the iron block. Let's just be real specific. So, you know, apples and oranges to some people, others, it's a, you know, Macintosh versus a Granny Smith. Um, <laughs> and it also has four wheel, four wheel disc brakes. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's the, it's the one you want. If you got all the money, you want a 63, 300 SL in a roadster. Okay. Can you clarify a couple of things for dumb, dumb over here? 
right? Yeah, no problem. This car really yeah. started with the 55 Gullwing Mercedes, yeah? 54, but yeah. 54, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the car, uh, the Mercedes sports car that was a really interesting because it was a tube frame. It had that canted over straight six engine. And most people will say it was one of the preeminent usable sports cars of its era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then as that car matured and was refined, this last of the line lost the gull wing doors, which really were a pain to get in and out of for this really fetching roadster with some modern updates. Am I still, am I still working all right here? Well, actually, there's there are very, very few things that are similar with the Roadster. You know, there are very few things that are interchangeable Roadster to Gullwing. Oh, um, the car, the car went through a revolution, not just an evolution mm. in 1958, which was, I think, the only year when they were building both the uh, the Roadsters and the Gullwings. So the Coupes and the Roadsters only had a little bit of crossover. And Mercedes saw this as the future of this production car, not a race car, a production car. I see. So very limited number of built, um, of cars built over the time. But in the very, very end, um, most people would argue they built the most drivable version of this, uh, of this 300 SL. I see. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there'll always be arguments between the, the SL Roadster and the SL Coupe, also known as the Gullwing, yeah. which was never called the Gullwing by the factory. It's just the name that it picked up. Uh, now, of course, the factory will, I mean, you know, the, the people use it as shorthand and it's completely acceptable. Uh, but this is, like I said, this is the ultimate year for the uh, 300 SL Roadster. <laughs> Dave, I'm imagining you at a car show being the nerd car car person correcting everybody that says, hey, look at that Gullwing over there. And Dave comes up, well, you yeah, know, it was never called the Gullwing. In period. Is that, that's you, isn't it? You're that guy. I could totally yeah, picture no, that. I am, I am totally not that guy. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll refer to a 63 Corvette as a split window, even though General Motors never called it a split window. Um, you know, cars adopt names over time. Yeah, yeah. And it happens to a <laughs> lot of cars. And this is what happened with the uh, 300 SL Coupe. So, so. You, you've picked a couple of picks here that are kind of interesting in that same era, the Lusso and this Mercedes, right? They're about the mm -hmm. same money. Right. You've got V12 Ferrari versus, uh, you know, V12 Ferrari Emotion versus what a lot of things you pointed out. You're saying this this Mercedes is different in that it's really a very technologically solid car. Right. Well engineered, maybe. But it's also really pretty, too, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's car. very, very pretty. Um, it's going to be interesting to, <clears throat> to see what happens with this. I know that I know at least one person I think is on this car is going to, um, you know, buy or is looking to buy a car. Yeah. And I'm thinking that it would be a good choice for him. Uh, he wants a car to tour. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if that's the case, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if my buddy winds up with this. So it's going to be interesting for me to watch. But here's the thing. All of the last three cars, the 918 Spider, the 250 Lusso, yeah. and the 300 SL, are all in right about that same, maybe as little as under two million, but two million, two million three, two million four. They're all in the same price range so far. They're How like Camrys. That? I mean, there's two million dollar cars everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Camrys, more like Priuses actually, because I mean, you know, yeah. 19 has more in, in common with the Prius than the other two, but that we won't go. There. Yeah. But you know, it's part of the fun of going to the Monterey auctions because all these things are out for viewing and typically you can buy a ticket to get into these auctions to view for 20 bucks. Right. 
and yeah, all yeah, the cars. A lot of them, uh, you know, Meekum especially, kind of yeah. will walk up and get it. Yeah. Um, yeah and, uh, you know, I mean, you can have so much fun for so little money. And Meekum goes on three days. So what, for 60 bucks, you can, you know, hang out with car guys, hang out with auction, uh, hang out with uh, the cars themselves. And, I mean, you know, everything's expensive in Monterey. Let's not be, you know, let's let's not kid ourselves. But uh, this might be the best bargain going is going to a, you know, a broad era, a gooding, whatever sale uh, and uh, or Meekum sale and just walking around. Well, it's the fun. other thing that's about these auction houses, knowing the people at Broad Arrow, the 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 length of time and the work that goes into presenting the history of not just the model, but that particular car. It's super detailed, super fun. You can really dive really deep through these auction catalogs if that's what you want to do. And some of them are produced in a much higher quality than others, but there's a lot of great information in there too, which is kind of fascinating. Oh, absolutely. You could spend uh, weeks and weeks and weeks reading through them. Yeah. So, so let's take a stroll <laughs> to uh, maybe a little less rarefied air. And, and <laughs> let's look at this other kind of pre-war car that you're, I don't know. Are you interested in this one or what is it? This LaSalle. Tell us. Well, first explain to everybody what a LaSalle is and then maybe this particular car, what, what, why you're interested in it. All right. Well, LaSalle is, uh, was kind of introduced as the baby Cadillac, the, you know, the, the less expensive Cadillac. And you know how often that has worked well with General Motors to uh, <laughs> go around with the Cadillac brand. Right. <clears throat> you know, the answer to that is it never works. But uh, LaSalle didn't last a long, long time. But they made some really interesting cars and some really beautiful cars. Now, I pointed this car out because this car is owned by Don or was owned by the late Don Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, Don was the collector's collector. Um, I, I'm just going to give him a shout out. Uh, you know, I know his, uh, his son now works for Meekum and I know some of the members of the family when I was just starting out in this business in the, you know, in basically the 1990s, when I had a question, I knew I could always call Don Williams and he would always answer the phone and he was always answer the question or point me to somebody who would. And that's what I call a real gentleman. And I will never, ever forget that because I'm just some schlub, you know, yeah, he, yeah. you know, might've met me. I mean, I know we met each other. You might've remembered me, you might've not, but he always had 10 minutes to spend. On oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Just, just really a class act. I mean, just all the way through. Well, this is one of his cars and this is not in the million dollar range. This is our, you know, our first car in the, uh, maybe the popular price range. Um, this one's popular price range is over a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in, in Monterey, yeah, that's a you know that's that's lunch and dinner. Um, uh, this one's an AACA National First, which is a big deal. It's a Series Fifty Two convertible coupe, and um, this one's estimated between one twenty five and one fifty thousand uh, dollars. So um, now, now this, I, I want to go back to that time when you were calling Don Williams because. You know, people seem to forget. You know, now you and Haggerty produce this price guide that. Uh, I remember when McKeel told me why uh, he started it was because there was just no feeling of safety or or certainty in what a car was worth. So everybody felt like they were getting ripped off. And he thought if there was, you know, a little more data and, and uh, certainty, it would help more people enjoy the hobby. And I think he's been totally right about that. But back in the 90s, like, I mean, what did you do? How did you value these things? I guess you were trying to figure out by calling Don, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, especially with pre-war cars, which have always been a problem for me, always been a problem for a lot of people. But yeah. he would he would explain when you call and talk, talk to Don, he would explain 
where the car fit in, which was such a big help. So, I see. You, know, you might might be talking about some oddball car, and he would say, "Listen, it's a misfit." you know, you know, that sort of thing, but it's still cool because people like them, you know, that sort, you know, and then he would always just make sense of kind of this nonsense stuff. Well, now we do have a lot more information. And of course, probably, you know, since the, let's just call it 1995 to 2023, you know, what, hundreds and millions and actually billions and billions of words have been written about the old car hobby, uh, you know, the business yeah, around sure. old cars and all that sort of stuff. But when you, when you picked up the phone, when you talked to Don Williams, you knew you were talking to the source, you knew you were talking no. to the greats and, you know, it, you know, we stand, we stand on the shoulders of people who schooled us in what we should do. And Don Williams has some of the biggest shoulders of anybody. I've uh, Dave, damn it. You know what you just did? You're going to make me say something I don't want to say, but you know, I feel the same way as and I hope the audience feels that way that they're getting to talk to you like this wealth of um, knowledge and experience and have seen it all because I never stump you. And believe me, my goal every show <laughs> is to make you look dumb and it's impossible. So, no, you know, no, kudos no, to no. you. And no, actually, uh, you know, Larry, you never met my wife. Uh, she'll be out in, in Pebble <laughs> Beach. She can show you all the ways that I'm dumb. I, okay, you know, I okay. swear to you. All right, back to this LaSalle. Um, you know, it, it, these are, it's fascinating to me. It's a 1940 that the, 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 what I love most about it is the font on the Speedo and the certain things. It just has that period look that is just, it's so cool. It's like, why don't we use this font anymore? I mean, it's really, really cool. Just stuff like that that I find so um, just really captivating about something like this. It's interesting that there's a market for a car like this in the six figures, I guess, is where I'm, I'm struck. You know what I mean? Still a valuable car. Yeah, um, well, as it should be. I mean, you know, it's actually, when you think about it, it is, it is baseline fun. It's not a complicated car. Almost anybody could keep this car running who had, you know, basic knowledge. Mm. Um, it's not going to be like that Ferrari. It's not going to cost you, you know, three, four, five grand a month or a year or every few years. If you park it, turn the battery off, it's going to be just fine when you start it, you know, three months later. So, I mean, you know, it's got a lot of that going for it. It's a three-speed manual transmission color on this car. I love it. It's Homer gray, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> how can you not think of the Simpsons, right? Uh, with the interior color of red. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's kind of vertible. So it's, you know, it's got built it's in. It's elegant. Fun. It's very elegant. Yeah. It has. An it is. I mean, this it. is, this is one that you could put the golf clubs in the back and yeah. go to the country club, or you could put the top up and go to a show somewhere. I mean, it's just, you know, when you, when you arrive in this, you have arrived. So, I mean, it's what an interesting swath of automobiles in one place, uh, you know, across, you know, the Monterey Peninsula next week. You know, we've gone from, uh, you know, hyper expensive race cars to supercars and hypercars. Now we're at this, you know, really World War II era was fake Cadillac. Oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean? Please. Yeah. The Cadillac for every man. And now okay, there's there's another car here that is also going to be at Broad Arrow Auction, which I can't wait to see. It's it's next. It's a week from uh, it's next Thursday. That would yeah. be the um, 17th. And it's at the uh, airport there out in Monterey. And this is a 1963. I'm going to butcher this. Citroen Du Chevaux 4x4 Sahara. This is really funny car. Tell the audience about it, please. 
Okay, so the Ducheveau was to uh, was to France what the Volkswagen Beetle was to Germany in a lot of ways, uh, or the Tupolino was to uh, to Italy. It Which was is a what? very affordable. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, a very affordable, very basic transportation car. Uh, you know, the the story about the Ducheveau was that it was supposed to hold four passengers, but you should also be able to drive over a farm field with a basket of eggs in the seat and not have the basket of eggs break. So that was the engineer's, uh, you know, design, you know, calling, I guess, wow. to get this car done. Now, these cars were, you know, everywhere in Europe up until the mid-1960s. Um, but they didn't make many of this Sahara because it is a four by four. So how did they make a four wheel drive? Why the easy way, of course. They put two motors in, one in the front. Get out. And one in the back. Yes. This has two drive motors, two Ducheveau motors. There are only about 700 of these made between 1958 and 71. They're 425 cc air cooled engines. And I mean, you know, before the days of computers, you don't have a computer controlling it. You're controlling both engines. How's that? It's super cool. I mean, this is one of the things that's so fun about these auctions is that like, this stuff comes out. And I think I'm pretty knowledgeable about the car world. And I had no idea such a thing existed from the factory, a twin engine car. I mean, incredible. Yeah. I know it really is. And it's really fun, too. Uh, you know, somehow... Um, uh, probably more fun to have than to drive, uh, you know, as yeah. far as that goes. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a four-wheel drive Citroen Ducheveau. Ducheveau means two horses. Um, and that, you know, if uh, people, I mean, this always used to confuse me. This is how dumb I am, Dave. You actually see it, the, the 2CV is right. is how it's written. But you say it in French, it's Ducheveau, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It took me a while to figure that out. I'm just hoping I'm short circuiting that for the audience. And these were these were made the the Sahara was made mm -hmm. uh, for the desert of uh, you know France's <laughs> North American. Uh, okay. North Africa. You know where my head goes when I see this thing. You know, it's 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 gray. It's got the spare tire on the hood. Do you remember that movie Spaceballs? Yeah. And you know when when I think they called him Dark Helmet, the the Darth Vader character right. with the big yeah, helmet. Exactly. He's on the yeah. planet Tatooine or whatever, the desert planet, and he's looks like he's driving around. This is what I picture him driving, is this douche of O four by four. I don't know. As, why. He, as well he should. As well, <laughs> as he, should. well he should. <laughs> yeah, but this is one of those oddballs that's gonna fetch a lot of money because of its rarity, because of its novelty. And this one looks to be in really great kind of original condition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it has been it has been restored, uh, apparently at a cost of over uh, fifty one thousand Swiss francs, which I happen to know is just around fifty one thousand American dollars, too. <laughs> uh, but uh, the uh, uh, it's actually a little bit more. But uh, anyhow, uh, I, I think this is a great opportunity to have a very, very rare car uh, built for the North African uh, Sahara. Um, and you know, what could be, what could be better than having when you're, when your first engine craps out, you just start using the second engine, right? I, I, I'm, I'll be there that Thursday night, I think. Um, and I'll be watching and, um, see the excitement that comes on and it's part of the fun, you know, watching these sitting in the auction. You know, the one thing that, um, the first like live auction I went to Dave, and it was some Mercedes that I can't remember it sold for several million dollars. And the, the thing that struck me was like, it was like the room was still quiet. 
Like nobody got up and high-fived each other. Nobody was like, yes, I wanted that car for 20 years. I mean, it, it's, they're really <laughs> funny affairs. And I find them just really uh, interesting to be around, I guess is my point. I mean, you're, you're been, you've seen it so much, you're sort of maybe uh, used to it, but they're just entertainment on their own. No, I, you know, the funny thing is you're right. I've seen it a lot, but I never get used to it because I think it's always fun. It's a, you know, it's auction theater. I've said that so many times. It's like going to the theater, you know, you're seeing something different all the time. The mood changes per car. Um, you know, it's like going to the dog park, you know, you're at the dog park and all the dogs are happy. And then all of a sudden a new dog comes in and then everybody goes crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing in a, in a collector car auction. It's fun. Uh, you know, the new car comes in, people go crazy. Uh, you know, some people, you know, sit on their hands and don't do anything. Some people get very excited, but it's, it's, it's a great, uh, exercise in watching human nature in action. So, uh, and this by the way is between, uh, 80,000 and a hundred thousand dollars. It's a cool so car. We can afford this. You want to split it? <laughs> no, I wish I could. I mean, I'm going to be selling my Fox body Mustang and hoping I get 15 grand for it someday. So. No, this car's out well, of my you range. Can get, you can get the down on this, right? You can stroke the down on this with that, right? Yeah, I borrowed for a classic car once. I'll never do that again. That was terrifying. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the last one, the, the oddity, the sort of like the car that is drawn out for Monterey in the hope that somebody or at least three people will see it and start some sort of bidding war. And I, I don't know, you know, the... There's this, I've read this myth, and sometimes it's true, about the the hidden Ferrari somewhere. Do you remember there was some story uh, I read somewhere where somebody borrowed or buried uh, a racing Ferrari in wood chips? Did that, yeah. does that ever ring a bell? Was that true? Well, there was, a, you know, there was a Dino that was uh, buried in a, a backyard. Yeah. A backyard. So, sure. I mean, these things do happen. Um, this is part of the, the car we're talking about is a 54 Ferrari 500 Mondial, um, series, uh, I'm sorry, pardon me. That's a mouthful. Spider series one pin and Farina, two words back then. Um, and it's from the lost and found collection at RM. Um, if you see a photo of this car and hopefully you will, it is basically on a couple of rolling carts. Um, it looks like the car that fell off the side of a cliff in a Hollywood movie. Oh, in that's good I say it. Yeah, totally. And then was left to rust. And, and kept on rolling, caught on fire. Yeah. And <clears throat> kept on rolling. And then went sat out for, uh, what, uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Um, it is absolutely distinguishable as a car, but you can't look at it and say what kind of car it is. It's just absolutely a rolled over, tossed around world's most challenging restoration and what will this car go for what is the estimate 1.2 to 1.6 million dollars i mean it's really um i mean it's basically like you said it's a pile of uh bent metal and that metal has uh you know it's like had the hands of jesus on it basically it doesn't even have the original engine but it's reportedly has the original gearbox i mean there are no suspension on it i mean it is just a shell of a shell and you know there's rust you could see it it's um you know on one hand you could say it's who would pay you know this isn't even worth this is worth its scrap value but it's ferrari metal so we know it's worth more than that on the other hand that car itself like nobody built um there weren't that many of them 
the 500 Mondial S Spider Series, right? Yeah, there were 13 uh, originally done with uh, uh, Farina Spider Coachwork. Right. Um, very, very rare. Well, any 54 Ferrari is rare. They, you know, the, yeah, the company early. was was just ramping up at this time. This did have a, a you know a racing appearance at uh, uh, Milamilia Targa Florio and the Amalia Grand Prix. Uh, so it is a race car. It has been, you know, driven. It was owned by, uh, it was raced by a Ferrari team driver. Um, and so, you know, it's got tons and tons of history. I believe the auction catalog says it best when it says it is an intriguing restoration project. Okay. This is where you got to guide us a little bit here, Dave, because what is a, you know, if this car was, um, you know, had been restored, it had the original engine. I mean, there are others. What, what is that worth? ballpark uh you know depending on how good it's done what engine it has sure. and everything else uh, you know let's call it 15 to 20 million holy when it's done. smokes so uh, possibly significant amount of money now <clears throat> well, I, I don't think it would be any less than eight so if you put it you know if you put it that way you know you got like four million dollars you can spend on a restoration then you can get an awful lot done for four million bucks still okay you but, know, even but, with but inflation, this, this is where the capriciousness of the that high-end classic car market is really interesting and it's all going to be about if there's like a handful of ferrari people let's uh, i'm saying like let, let's say dave you and i buy this thing right we ship it to the yeah. preeminent um we ship it to the ferrari factory and we mm -hmm. pay them to restore it because they do that now and they charge us yeah right every bit of five million dollars and we get our car back it doesn't have the original engine but a lot of race cars don't have the original engines but we have the serial number we have the provenance all that stuff now, if the right five people in that world approve of this and say, yep, this is a legit car, we're gold. If, however, they go, yeah, you know what? There just wasn't enough of the original car left. This is really a recreation. It's not the original. We're screwed. We're sunk. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, this tests the whole theory that everybody says that if you wreck your Ferrari 250 GTO. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a, let's just, you know, shorthand it and call it a $50 million car. Um, and it costs you 10 million to put it back together. Uh, is it still a $50 million car? The, the chances are the answer is yes. Oh, um, even if you had to, you know, graft in some more metal and everything else. So, so if uh, we so had the money, you'd pay the 2 million for this and sink in another five to restore it. You know, uh, Larry, I'm in my 60s, and uh, no. I don't see this car getting done in the next decade. Uh, really? Unless it was by some, well, I mean, you know, you have parts you have to source. Oh. You have all kinds of, it does have a title, which is good news. Has a title, okay. But, uh, I mean, you know, even if you put a team of craftsmen on, at Ferrari, which, by the way, double that $4 million at Ferrari. Oh, is that right? You know, 8 million or $10 million. Sure. I mean, they're the factory. They can they can charge it. Um, so, anyhow... Um, uh, and you put the $10 million into making the car right, which seems like a, a hellacious amount of money when you can, when you realize you can build a, a, you know, complete office building for that kind of money and all other kinds of things. But if you put the Ferrari craftsman on it and they, they took their time and everything else, I don't think you can get this done in four or five years. It, it would take longer than that just to do, you got to start with the research. You got to figure out absolutely everything is where it's supposed to be. Uh, if you do a sloppy job on it, then the car's never going to be worth that kind of money. But if you do a, you know, a perfect quote unquote restoration, then you could you could wind up with a you could wind up with a money maker at this car. Okay, let's talk about these restoration prices. That is obscene. Ten million dollars. <laughs> 
Okay, at a hundred bucks an hour, that is uh, what did I say? That's a hundred thousand hours, man hours, which is twenty five hundred weeks of work. Let's see, divided by three hundred and sixty five. That's seven years of one person toiling continually, day in and day out. I mean, there's now, no way it costs that much. Well, you're you're not counting the research, number one. You're not counting the parts, which are going to be phenomenally expensive, not to the order of a million dollars. I get that. But uh, uh, the other thing is, who works for $100 an hour? Who's a craftsman who works at Ferrari? I mean, you know, I'm sure they don't pay their guys $100 an hour, but I'm sure as hell they bill them over that. Um, you know, they're talking about an international clientele, some of which have unlimited amounts of money. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, take that $100, uh, double it, and then double it again. And, you know, you're talking three, $400 an hour. So that's one thing. Okay. Look, uh, looking at the photos, like some of this metal is so crinkled, there's no saving it, the sheet metal. And right. I, it would be really fun to be in the room with those craftsmen as they try and figure out what they can save and what they can't. And um, it may, somebody may conclude that, or, I mean, hmm, I guess... I don't, I guess I'm, um, and there's no easy answer for this. Is this thing just a, an artifact as it sits or is it a starting project? Is it a starting base for a bigger project? What's your hunch on that? If I had a collection of 75 Ferraris and there's a lot of people out there who have such collections as, as a collection of 75 uh -huh. Ferraris and I was building a new purpose built building for it, you know, probably for that $4 million dollars and I wanted to have something on display when you enter, this would be the perfect car to leave just as it is oh. and leave it on display. Yeah, that is a thing for those those lucky people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The drama yeah. of the entrance to their their personal museum. I mean, as crazy that yeah. may sound, I mean, I don't want to incite a riot, but there are collectors out there with facilities like that, right? Oh, yeah, there are. Yeah. I've been to some of them, and there definitely are. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, you know, so this, this might be the starting point, um, uh, that somebody says, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is a Ferrari race car. This is how I found it. It's an artifact and, and I like it this way. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to that. We were talking about before there was that Bugatti that they hauled out of a lake and, yep. um, that did not get restored and sold for almost $400,000. And this was, uh, 2018 so a long time ago and a car was not as bugatti's a pretty big provenance car but not on the on the level of ferrari correct well yeah and that car was that car was driven into the lake or put in the lake because of a overdue tax bill i don't know if you knew that story <laughs> but the guy owed taxes on it the best way to not pay the taxes is to say hey go find the car it doesn't exist anymore i don't know what you're talking about so um but yeah this car has read has led a very very rough life uh the other way you could do it would be to take all the 3d photos of it you know have it as a as a holographic display alongside the restored car think about that how fun would that be to show what this car was before and and what your craftsman or the craftsman did with putting this car back together oh my if you gosh. have enough money you can put anything back together. god you are a visionary i had not thought about that that's really brilliant <laughs> well Dave, thank you for all the um, the background for Monterey. There's a lot of the stuff you can watch. Please keep visiting uh, insider.haggerty.com, and we'll have a lot of um, uh, news as it as it happens. We'll have a lot of analysis, and then the week after, 
We will be digesting everything that happens and what does it mean. Uh, so I am really looking forward to that. Um, Dave, are there any final words that you'd like to mention to the audience? Yeah, I would say that if you have the chance to get anywhere near Monterey, you can do it for free. Um, I mean, if you have buddies who live in Salinas or something like that, you can drive down. You're not going to get into all the events, but keep in mind that the cars on the street in, you know, in Monterey, in Pebble Beach, in uh, you know, all the surrounding areas, uh, it's a car show in and of itself. You can literally go to yeah. In-N-Out Burger and spend 45 minutes there looking at, uh, looking at some of the best cars in the world. Um, you know, there's tours out there that people drive on and you can get in line for where the tour is and you can go there for free and visit. So you can, you, you know, you don't have to have the, you know, the $5,000 you might spend on all the admission prices on all the, the high end events. You can go and you can have fun. All the clubs or a lot of the clubs have something. So there's something going on. Oh, the car clubs you mean? Yeah. 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 And then there's also, there's a lot of free stuff. There's, uh, exotics on Cannery Row right in the middle of Monterey, which is all the exotic cars. And um, so to your point, just the car watching in general is pretty spectacular. So that, I mean, it is on the bucket list for a lot of people to go see and, um, you know, definitely for good reason. So, you so, know, hey, wait a minute, we're forgetting our favorite Saturday morning, the Concord mm -hmm. Lemons. Oh my gosh, that's true. And it's totally free, isn't it? It's totally free. Right. You know, so that's Haggerty's Concourse to Lemons. We'll be there. It's, um, I don't, I can't remember the name of the park there in, uh, near Monterey where it's hosted. Do you know it? I don't remember the name of the park, but I know it's in the shadow of the Doubletree Hotel. So if you find the Doubletree, which is the largest, uh, building in, in all of Monterey, uh, um, then you can be able to find it. It's within walking distance of there. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, please give us a positive review in Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps more people find this. We certainly enjoy producing it for you. Um, and, you know, leave your questions in the comments. You can do it in the article that we post this podcast on Haggerty.com, or you can certainly do it on our YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week on Haggerty's No Reserve. Bye-bye.